just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. Yesterday was pretty low-key for me. I hung around the condo. I watched some news. I did some TikToks. I did some writing. I ended up meeting my wife for lunch. She was out substitute teaching. And I experienced something when we went out to lunch that you don't often experience anymore. And that was excellent customer service. Now, if you're ever in Minnesota and you like tacos, I will highly recommend a place called Rusty Tacos. I've been going there for quite a while, and it's uh, it's an interesting setup. You come in, you order, you go sit down, they get the stuff for you, and the tacos are excellent. But I ran into a young kid behind the counter, and he gave the best customer service I've seen. And it didn't look like he was trained to do it. It looked like he did it on his own volition. So I walk up to the counter and I make an order for my wife and I. And he says, could I get a name for this order? I said, sure. My name's Mike. He goes, all right. Thank you very much, Mike. I will call you as soon as it's ready. So we sit down, no biggie. And instead of calling me, he brought the stuff out to us, which they don't do in this place at all. You call, you're called, you come up, you grab it, you sit down, and the tacos are awesome. So we have our tacos, we talk a bit, Uh, my wife's going someplace else afterwards, I'm going home alone, we're in separate cars, we just decided to meet for lunch that afternoon. And the funny thing is, when I was up at the counter, I paid for the uh, food, and they had a tip jar, and I put a few dollars in there like I would normally do, didn't think much of it, and then... As my wife and I are leaving Rusty Taco, the kid behind the counter says, Hey, hey, Mike. I go, what? He goes, thanks for coming in. You have a great day. And I walked out of there thinking, now that's how it should be done. If I own a restaurant, I want my people to treat my customers like that. He remembered my name. He used my name. He called out my name, he went an extra mile for me, and then when I left, he remembered my name again, said my name, and wished me well as I was headed off. Now, I would go back to uh, Rusty Taco at any point, and there's a few Rusty Tacos in the Twin Cities area, but I will make a special effort to go back to that Rusty Taco because that customer service was excellent. And that's something you don't see these days anymore. I give that kid a lot of credit. He's going to be successful because he gets it. A lot of places you walk into. I remember walking into a McDonald's one time in a bad part of town. (laughs) I walk up to the counter and there's a woman standing behind the counter. And I'm waiting. She's not acknowledging me yet. And then finally she looks up and says, what? (laughs) I said, I just, I just want to order a Big Mac. That's pretty much it. That's it? I said, well, give me the Big Mac meal with fries and a, and a pop. All right, I'll let you know. 
And then she came back, threw the bag at me, and I went down and sat down and ate my McDonald's. Quite a difference between the two places. So much respect to the young kid at Rusty Taco. I think it's on East Hennepin and Central Avenue, up headed toward Northeast Minneapolis. If you're in town and you want tacos and you want good service, that's where you go. All right, so anyway, we are going to talk about some of the things that happened yesterday. And one of the things is my absolute favorite. Dr. Fauci was in a hearing, as he often is. I think they meet every month or two months just to get an update of what's going on with coronavirus or Delta or Omicron. And inevitably, when they have this hearing, uh, Senator Rand Paul always steps up and wants to ask some questions. Now, Rand Paul does not want to ask questions about Omicron because as far as he's concerned, it's a fucking hoax. What he wants to do is rip Dr. Fauci apart. And he's trying to blame Dr. Fauci for all these things. He's off topic. He's just tearing into Dr. Fauci like he's at fault for everything. And so... Dr. Fauci is getting a little angry by now. And after this senator, Rand Paul, starts ripping into him, Dr. Fauci stops him and says, hold on a minute. They give him time to respond. And, you know, see, that's, that's the thing about Republicans, Rand Paul, for example. Their, their strategy, their game is to just keep talking and not let you talk because you know or he knows that they're going to come up with some facts and he's going to look stupid. But in this case, um, the leader in this particular hearing, I don't know who it was, um, said, you got to give him time to talk. Be quiet. So Dr. Fauci stepped up and he had planned for this. Clearly, he had planned for this. And he said, He said, look, every time you do this to me, you don't understand. I get death threats. My family gets threats. We just had somebody coming from Texas who got stopped in Iowa or something like that. And he was stopped by the police and they said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to Washington, D.C. to shoot Dr. Fauci. And in his car was an AR-15. This is some serious shit. And every time Rand Paul or any of these other idiots start talking shit about Dr. Fauci, this is what happens. But Dr. Fauci didn't end it there. He said, I want everybody to see something. All you have to do is go to Rand Paul's website. And then he had a screen grab, a a picture of it, and he put it up. And in this picture of the screen grab, it had a picture of Dr. Fauci, and it simply said, Fire Fauci. And Dr. Fauci said, but if you look over to the right there, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see that there are little boxes where you can donate money to Rand Paul's campaign. $5, $10, $20, $100. And Dr. Fauci looked at him and said, it's absolutely horrible that you're using a catastrophic pandemic to further your election, your career, to make money, to grift money. And Rand Paul was a little upset. See, that's why they keep talking. They don't want that shit to come up. 
They figure if they control the narrative, then nobody can say anything. But in this case, he had no choice. He had to shut up. And then when that was said, he really shut up. He didn't have anything to say for that. That was a very powerful statement by Dr. Fauci, exposing Rand Paul for the kind of person he was. Now, there was something else said by Rand Paul in his rants toward Dr. Fauci, but it didn't get addressed. It was kind of caught up in all the other mess, but I heard it, and I wanted to address that, too. Now, Rand Paul was trying to suggest that Dr. Fauci was in charge, in control of the pandemic from the very beginning. So that must mean that Dr. Fauci is responsible for all the people who died and all the bad things that have happened during the pandemic. Again, they moved on to something else very quickly, so Dr. Fauci didn't respond to it. But I'd like to respond to it because I think Rand Paul is missing something here, missing something very important. At the start of the pandemic, the people in charge were Donald Trump as president of the United States and Jared Kushner, who was appointed by Donald Trump to oversee the pandemic. Now, what you have to remember is that Donald Trump said COVID was a hoax. He said it would go away in a few months. He fired all the people on the commission that was supposed to manage a pandemic, and he threw away the guidebook on how to handle a pandemic. And then he proceeded to ignore anything about the pandemic. You see, Donald Trump and all his little trump realized that if this gets really bad, this could hurt their 2020 election prospects. Well, this is what Donald Trump does. He thinks he can ignore it or delay it or do whatever, and then it will just go away. But this is where Donald Trump was stupid. It didn't go away. It got worse. And it didn't get worse because of Dr. Fauci or any other doctor. It was because of Donald Trump, Jared Kushner, and all the little trump that follow these clowns. You see, all the time this was going on, every time Dr. Fauci tried to say something, Donald Trump and his Republicans would shut Dr. Fauci down. They didn't like the fact that Dr. Fauci was talking about the truth, talking about this pandemic as if it were real, because they didn't want people to think it was real. They shut him down. They shut other doctors down. They threatened other doctors. They fired other doctors. The people that are responsible for the pandemic, for 800,000, 900,000 people being dead, for the country being shut down, for the economic problems, for the jobs problems, for people who lost their jobs. The only people that are responsible for that, Donald Trump, Jared Kushner, and all the other Trumplicans that supported him. This is the essence of gaslighting. They are responsible for this. Dr. Fauci tried to do some things, but they attempted to shut him down. They even talked about firing him because he wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. It wasn't that he wasn't doing his job and that he was lying because he was being very honest. Donald Trump just didn't like what he was saying, so he wanted to shut him down. So all this time later to suggest Dr. Fauci is responsible for what went on in the pandemic, is absolutely fucking ridiculous. I know it. You know it. They even know it. 
but they just use their standard tactic of gaslighting and lying and trying to make it look like it's Fauci's fault. It's not. It never was. We'd be a lot worse off if Dr. Fauci didn't do some of the things he did. We'd be a lot worse off if Donald Trump was still the president and Jared Kushner was supposed to be working the pandemic. I remember I told you a story one time, and I heard this, and I can't verify if it's true, but it certainly sounds like something Trump and Kushner would say. When this pandemic first started, they got the sense that it was going to be the worst in the urban parts of the country, where the most people are. And Kushner supposed that in these urban areas that it would be mostly blue voters. So to do nothing might be a good idea because it might very well kill a lot of blue voters and help them in the election. Now, that sounds absolutely crazy. But when you think about it with Donald Trump and Kushner and all these other Trump fucks, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'd like to verify if that's true, but that's something I had heard. Now, the ironic thing about this is because of the tactics they took, and now how they are against vaccinations and such, such, it's not the Democrats that are dying off. It's the Republicans. Leave it to Donald Trump to fuck it up. He will do it every time. Now, in this hearing with, <clears throat> with Dr. Fauci, there was one other senator that was talking to Dr. Fauci. And again, not discussing Omicron or COVID or Delta or anything with the pandemic. He wanted to call out Dr. Fauci. His name is Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas. He had a picture of a check with $432,000 suggesting that's what Dr. Fauci is paid, making him the highest paid government employee. Don't know if that's true. It's coming from a Republican, so probably not. Now, this gentleman was trying to suggest that Dr. Fauci's financial situations where he was getting his money from, where it wasn't available to the public, wasn't available to Congress. And he was ranting about this. And Fauci was getting upset because he said, look, my financial status has been public for 35 years. You can find it. All you have to do is look for it or ask for it, and they'll give it to you. And, of course, this this representative, um, or senator, actually, said, uh, we couldn't find it. Where, where, where can you find it? Now, you know these dumb motherfuckers didn't look for it. They might even very well know that it's easily available. But they want to give the impression, once again, gaslighting, and suggest that Dr. Fauci is making all kinds of money on the side under the table, and people don't know about it. <laughs> well, once once... He, he verified that his finances were readily available. Obviously, this senator was a little taken aback, and he shut up very quickly, much like Rand Paul did. And then, apparently, Dr. Fauci's mic was still on as they were going on to the next senator or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and on a hot mic, unintentionally, Dr. Fauci says... This guy's a moron. Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, I don't know if the senator heard it, but he's heard about it by now because it's all over the news. And 
that just gives you a sense of how Dr. Fauci's getting a little frustrated. You know, you've got these guys personally attacking him while he's also trying to manage a pandemic. That is appalling. That is ridiculous. And that's very typical of Trumplicants. Now, here's the interesting thing. This guy is talking about uh, Dr. Fauci's finances. And where does he get his money from? Well, I'd like to go through each member of the Senate and find out where they get their money from. Like Senator Joe Manchin. He's got a $750,000 boat, a $200,000 car, and he makes $174,000 a year as a senator. Where's he getting his money from? Since Dr. Fauci's is readily available, we should go through every fucking senator in that place and find out where they get their money from, how they invest their money with insider trading. It's ironic. These people project constantly. They're talking about Dr. Fauci getting this under-the-table money when that is the business of senators, getting money under the table, PACs or, or uh, donations, and what they're doing with it. We don't know about that shit. We should know about that shit, but we don't hear anything about it. So that was kind of entertaining. If you get a chance to see the video of it, you want to check it out because the look on Rand Paul's face after uh, Dr. Fauci pointed out uh, what he's doing to grift money off the back of a catastrophic pandemic. That's what that's what Dr. Fauci says. I cannot believe that you're trying to collect donations on the back of a horrific pandemic. Made him look stupid. He didn't say anything, and he's embarrassed as hell. But that must be pretty common for him because he gets embarrassed all the time. You know, he gets embarrassed when he gets his ass beat by a neighbor. (laughs) He gets his ass beat every time he tells a lie and he gets called on on it. But he still continues to do it. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? Is this guy an idiot? And uh, with the House Select Committee, Got some interesting stuff. Everything starts to be heating up in the House Select Committee. We keep hearing about new people they're going to try to talk to, like Mike Pence, Jim Jordan. Um, And now they're looking to talk to Rudy Giuliani. And if Rudy Giuliani's next, you can bet Mo Brooks is there. Paul Gosar, Lauren Boebert. Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're going to want to talk to all these people. And ultimately, most of them won't want to talk. Ultimately, they'll be forced to talk. They're still working out the idea whether they can subpoena sitting members of Congress. And there's no place in the Constitution that says they can't. It's just that they've never done it before, so they're a little concerned about looking stupid if it turns out they can't. But clearly they can. It's just a matter of when they're going to do it. Now, Rudy Giuliani is a different situation. He's not a sitting member of Congress. He wasn't working for the president of the United States at that time, very much like Bannon, very similar. So if we get a subpoena for Rudy Giuliani, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Now, he's so cocky and so stupid, and he's a big-time lawyer. I wouldn't be surprised if he says, yeah, I'll sit down and talk, expecting he can manipulate everybody and lie and talk his way out of it because he's so smart. I hope he does that. 
because he's not that smart. There's something different about Rudy Giuliani than there was in in 9-11 because he was sharp back then. He was well thought of. He was appreciated for his work during 9-11 in New York City. But he's a whole different fool right now. I hope he does sit down because he'll do exactly what Donald Trump does. Every time they open their mouth, they hurt themselves because they expose how stupid they are and they give evidence of how criminal they are. So we'll see what happens if they get Rudy Giuliani. But the House Select Committee is turning it up a bit. They're also looking at the possibility of uh, criminal referrals to the DOJ. They're looking to see if these acts that these people they want to talk to were criminal. And clearly they were. They just want to dot their I's and cross their T's and make sure that they're not going to have any problem with it. But I can guarantee you the House Select Committee will make some criminal referrals to the DOJ. There are going to be some people that are indicted and prosecuted and no doubt found guilty. It's a little longer process. It's a little slower going than most situations. I mean, if we were indicted, you and me, we'd be in court before we knew it and in jail even quicker. It's going to be different with the politicians, certainly, but the crimes are so flagrant, so blatant, so in your face, they can't possibly not prosecute these people. We're talking not only crimes, obvious crimes, but serious crimes against this country. Sedition, treason, obstruction. These are all things that they did, and we can prove it right now before the House Select Committee even releases a lot of the information they already have. You can trust that the House Select Committee has a lot of evidence right now and could refer a lot of people to the DOJ. But they're going to do it all in good time, and they're going to uh, cross their T's and dot their I's, of course, before they actually do it. But you can count on this. These people will be going to the DOJ. They will be getting indictments, and they will be going on trial. And it will be unprecedented in this country. There are also people looking at the 14th Amendment, Uh, people in the House Select Committee looking at the 14th Amendment for the likes of Boebert, uh, Green, Gosar, Kevin McCarthy, all those people. Now, whether that will come to anything, but that basically expels them from uh, from Congress and makes it so they can never run for any any, um, seat in any House or on any level. And that would be the thing to do. We need to kick these people out, and we need to make it so that they cannot run for any other office. And they might very well try to use that 14th Amendment on Donald Trump. They don't want to see this clown running again in 2024. I don't honestly believe he will anyway, but they want to make certain of that. And don't be surprised if they use that 14th Amendment against all these sitting members of Congress and the president himself. It'll also be interesting to see if Mike Pence shows up. He should if he wants to save his soul. But they're going to have to do some dancing and promising and negotiation, which shouldn't be necessary, but it will be in this case. So we'll see if Mike Pence steps up. And then we'll see what he does. 
Will he still stand by Donald Trump's side or will he finally break away and try to separate himself from the Trump fucking nutcases? I don't have a lot of confidence in Mike Pence. He doesn't seem like the sharpest guy. He seems like nothing more than a sycophant. He has no substance. If he thinks he's running for president in 2024, he's going to be sadly mistaken. It's just not going to happen. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. So Joe Biden and Kamala Harris went down to Atlanta, Georgia to give a talk on voting rights. This is the new hot button in Washington, D.C. This is probably the most important thing right now that Joe Biden has to do. Get the voting rights bill passed. But, of course, he has problems. And because he doesn't have a deal as yet, the NAACP in uh, Georgia and some other organizations said, you better not come down here unless you got a deal. And many of those folks boycotted this talk. But I think a lot of those people that didn't show up were surprised by the talk because Joe Biden was much stronger about this situation than he's ever been before. He put these people like Manchin and Cinema and the Republicans on notice that he's not fucking around anymore. He said he's tired of being quiet about this. He's going to be in the open and he's going to start talking about this. And why that's important is because if the president is talking, people listen. And he basically laid it out like this. We need voting rights. If you are against voting rights, then you are against America. Now, Chuck Schumer has said that they're going to do a vote before um, Martin Luther King's birthday, and that's about five days away. So it's coming quickly. Now, it's expected that if the vote comes, it's not going to pass through the Senate. Now, the Republicans won't vote for it, and even if Manchin and Cinema do vote for it, it'll be a 50-50 split, and on this particular situation, they need a 60-vote supermajority because of the filibuster, and that's always been the problem with this situation, the filibuster. Now, in this talk today, Joe Biden talked about, we've got to carve out the filibuster so we can get this passed with a simple majority of 51 votes, which they could do, assuming Manchin and Cinema did their job and voted democratically. Now, this what's interesting about this is Joe Manchin has been against doing anything to the filibuster, nothing at all. And Joe Biden has been, too. He's a longtime senator. And he thought the filibuster should not be touched. And what's ironic about this, Mitch McConnell's all but heard about this, and he's making threats. If you cut out the filibuster, there's going to be hell to pay in the Senate. Hey, Mitch, you're the minority leader. What the fuck are you going to do? You're going to do nothing. And anything you do do will make you look bad and hurt your chances in 2022. But Mitch McConnell's worried about this thing. So the intention by Chuck Schumer is to put this up for a vote, say, next Monday, knowing that it probably won't pass the Senate. But now that Joe Biden has stepped out and said, you either vote for this thing or you're on the wrong side of history, you're going to be remembered as the people that voted against voting rights. 
and you are the people that are going to be remembered as as uh, being supportive of voter suppression and gerrymandering and all those sorts of things. And once he vocalized that, that puts everybody on notice. It's going to be a very public vote, obviously. And once you put that vote in, that stink is stuck on you forever. And that means mansion and cinema, too. So the Republicans and the Democrats, mansion and cinema, really don't want this to happen. They never like to be exposed for who they are. They'd rather do it in secret so nobody knew that they were fucking um, assholes. So Joe Biden has said, this is what we're going to do. So unless you vote this thing in, we're going to take apart the filibuster. And that's something the Republicans definitely don't want done until they gain power. Then, of course, they would want it. But now they don't want that done. So this is a tough position for them. Now, the smart thing to do would to be have 10 Republicans, Manchin and Cinema, to vote for it. So it passes without having to fuck with the filibuster. But you know uh, McConnell, and he doesn't want to see the Democrats win anything. If, even if it means putting something up and voting for something that helps democracy. He'd rather see the demise of democracy than giving the Democrats a win. So he's caught in a bad position here. He doesn't want the filibuster taken apart. But he also doesn't necessarily want to be exposed in history as the one that was against voter suppression or voter uh, voting rights that fights against voter suppression. It's kind of like the people who voted against civil rights. Those people don't look too good anymore. Granted, it's 50, 60 years ago, but those people don't look good. And Mitch McConnell doesn't want to be one of those people. Neither does Manchin, neither does Cinema. So what Joe Biden is doing now, finally putting some pressure on these people, exposing them for who they are. Now they have to make a choice. Now, presumably, when this goes to a vote, whether Manchin and Cinema vote for it at all or not, the Republicans won't. It won't pass. So now it's going to get down to some serious shit. Because now they're going to try to take apart the filibuster in order to get it passed. This is something that Joe Biden needs to get passed. There's a lot of problems in it for him if he doesn't. And there's a lot of problems for the people that try to block it getting passed. The Republicans are already getting shit for the stuff they don't do or refuse to do or block. But Manchin and Cinema all of a sudden got a problem here now. They don't want to look bad, but they don't want to fuck with a filibuster. But they will have no choice. I mean, you go back to Mansion in West Virginia, and you have a lot of black constituents. And you go back there and you say, well, I'm all for voter suppression and taking your rights away from you. He's not going to do that. Sure, he's playing tough guy now, but it's not going to fucking happen. He's going to have to bend, and he's going to have to vote for it. And if the Republicans refuse to participate, which is what they should do so they can at least stop the filibuster being torn apart, you know they won't. They constantly are playing chicken. And then Mitch McConnell comes out and says, well, if you do that, we're going to do something terrible. Well, Mitch, you've been doing something fucking terrible for 
years, decades. What are you going to do? Try to block more votes? That's all you've been doing for the last eight years, ten years. So don't even fucking threaten us. Nobody cares what you think, Mitch. Your time is short. Your power is limited. And it's going to make you weaker as time goes on here. 2022 comes along. Here's what's going to happen. The majority is going to get bigger for the Democrats, smaller for the Senate. And all of a sudden, all of your thoughts and plans and strategies aren't going to mean shit. So maybe it's the time now to get on board and do something worthwhile for this country. Do something to help continue to have our democracy be successful. Now, we know you, Mitch, and we know you're not going to do it. You will cut your nose off to spite your face, so go ahead and do it. But we need Mansion and Cinema to vote to cut out, to carve out the filibuster. Now, because Joe Biden brought this up, this puts a lot of pressure on Cinema and Mansion. Joe Biden knows Mansion very well, and I heard something. It's not proven, but I heard that uh, Cinema went into a meeting with a bunch of Democrats to talk about this filibuster situation. She's feeling the pressure. She's going to be lucky if she even comes close in the next election. So she needs to do something to save her ass. And this may very well be the thing, because all the people in Arizona are against her. They don't like anything she's done. She's got to bring something to the table, something that she's accomplished. She can't continue to be obstructionist like her Republican buddies. So I see her bending. She's a younger senator, and she's going to bend because she's afraid. And now the president is putting out his full power, and that's going to weigh heavy on Kristen Cinema. It's going to weigh heavy on Manchin, too. He's going to have to fold, and they're going to have to carve out the filibuster so this can pass. Now, Mitch McConnell acts like this is a horrific thing. This is never done. We can't do this. Well, Mitch McConnell did the very fucking same thing in order to get some of his Supreme Court justices elected. They never would have got uh, placed into position with the... uh, supermajority. They weren't going to get 10 or 10 Democratic votes. So they would have never got their Supreme Court justices in. So what does Mitch McConnell do? He figures out a way to carve out the the, uh, filibuster on this one situation, and he does it. But now when the Democrats want to do it to save democracy, he says, oh, no, that, that can't be We're going to do something horrendous. Fuck you, Mitch. Nobody gives a shit about you, and nobody is going to remember you other than being an obstructionist piece of shit when you're dead probably a year from now. Because you don't look good, Mitch. You don't look healthy. You're like 150 years old, and you don't look good. And Godspeed on your future demise. So that's going to all play out here in the next week. And it's going to be interesting. You're going to see some people caving because Joe Biden has finally put the pressure on. Now, here's the one thing I will say about Joe Biden. What fucking took you so long? You're the president of the United States. You knew this had to be done. Why didn't you do this eight months ago, a year ago? You were all for the filibuster. And let's be perfectly honest with you. The filibuster is is not in the Constitution. The filibuster isn't even a good rule. The only thing it's been used as of late is to marginalize people of color. 
Now, if you support that, well, then you're a fucking piece of shit, too. And I'm talking Joe Biden, Joe Manchin, Mitch McConnell, any of them. If you can't see the filibuster as a bad thing for this country, we've got a problem with you. Well, so now Joe Biden has caved a little bit on this, and he's willing to carve it out. We should get rid of it completely is what we should do. Because all it does is take the minority and let them stop things. The only people that lose with the filibuster is us. Because that stops things being done for us. It may be good for the senators, but it's not good for Americans. The filibuster needs to go away completely. But for the moment, we've got to carve it out to get the voting rights bill done. Get that piece taken care of. We can worry about the filibuster next time around. And I expect that's what will happen. They'll carve out the filibuster. They'll pass the voting rights bill. And that'll be done. And that'll be one of the most important things Joe Biden does in his tenure. And once that's done, we can focus on other things like Build Back Better. Because remember, they've set it aside for a little bit right now. But don't forget, they're going back to it. They're not giving up on it. That's coming back, and that's going to be the next thing that they're going to shove down the Republicans' throats. Just just wait and see. Now, in the last podcast, I was talking about these um, forged elector certificates. And this is interesting. The, the story I told you was that Wisconsin, Arizona, Michigan— they somehow somebody created forged a, a certif, certif, certificates of ascertainment for electors. See what happens is when you have an election, the official electors from each state fill out a form, sign it, and send it to D.C. for the counting of the electors. And in the case of Michigan, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, Joe Biden won all of those things. But these are the places where they thought there was some kind of election fraud. Now, there's been all kinds of investigations. No election fraud has been found. But here's what's interesting. Each of those states sent out a second document, a certificate of ascertainment, suggesting that they were the electors, they were forged, and then sent off to Washington, D.C. Now, here what's, here's what's weird about it. All of these, with the exception of maybe one, were almost identical documents. Now, the interesting thing about the real documents that get sent out, they're all a little different from state to state. There's different styles and ways of doing it. But in this case, with the second uh, forged documents, they were all the same. They were all like a template. Now, here's where it gets interesting. You remember the story about Jeffrey Clark. He was the deputy attorney general under Donald Trump. He was the one that created a document or a letter to go out to all those same swing states saying, hey, we found election fraud. Don't certify the election. Well, now that in itself was sedition or treason. He went up to the Attorney General, Rosen, and he said, no, we're not sending that out. That's fucking crazy. But if you read that letter, if you read that letter, it states that there will be new documents for new electors suggesting that Donald Trump won 
and you should work with those. Well, now that's interesting, isn't it? All these forged documents go to these swing states. All these names that aren't real electors signed it. It went to Washington, D.C. And now we look at Jeffrey Clark's letter that was supposed to go out to the swing states, and he mentions those very same forged documents. So what's that tell you? You throw in the fact that all these documents look the same. They look like they were coming from the same template. That would suggest that not each individual state created these documents. It sounds like they got help. And who would they get help from? Trump administration? Donald Trump? The DOJ? Well, if that's the case, we've got a conspiracy situation here. Even these states doing this and those people that signed it are committing a crime. But then you throw into the aspect of this whole thing and you realize that it may have all started on a federal level in the DOJ or in the White House. This was all put together as part of the plan to overthrow the country. And if not for Attorney General Rosen, or for the people getting the second forged documents, not taking it seriously, we could have had a much different situation. We could have had a mess in our election where there was no mess necessarily because Joe Biden won by 7 million votes. But if somehow these got through or somehow Jeffrey Clark was able to send out these documents and stop these states from certifying their election. Now, you have to understand the DOJ, Department of Justice, sends a state and says, we found election fraud. Don't certify the elections yet. What is a state supposed to do if they get that official directive from the Department of Justice? They don't really have any choice. And then this country is in a fucking mess, which is exactly what Donald Trump wanted to do. If nothing else, he wanted to create enough uncertainty, enough chaos, so that he could parlay this and rant and rave and try to get it overturned. Now, if it ever would have happened, I don't know. But that possibility was there, and we were closer than ever to having this country overthrown. So these people that send these forged documents, they got a heap of trouble. But if they can track it back to the DOJ or to the White House, this is a bigger deal. This is conspiracy. And it sounds like it does track back at least to the DOJ. And, of course, we know Jeffrey Clark was talking to the White House, dealing with uh, Mark Meadows and Donald Trump. Donald Trump loved Jeffrey Clark so much when Rosen said we won't send out these letters, he talked about the idea of firing Rosen and putting this dipshit in as attorney general so he could do what he wanted to do. The only problem he came into here was that um, everybody in the White House and everybody at the DOJ said, if you do this, we're all quitting, which would have been a bad scene for Donald Trump. You see how messy this looks? You see how problematic it is? It's a little frightening to see what could have been had a few things fallen in place for the Trump administration. The other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, lawsuits by the Capitol Police officers against Donald Trump regarding culpability in the insurrection. And also uh, Representative Swalwell is in that lawsuit against Donald Trump. Now, Trump's legal team is actually asking for it to be dismissed because he believes 
he can say anything. He has a First Amendment right to say anything. Now, that's not exactly true. He can say anything, but there are are consequences for the shit you say. And if you're inciting a an insurrection, you've got a serious problem. Now, granted, this is just a civil case, and this is Representative Swalwell and a couple of police officers suing Donald Trump. So Donald Trump's lawyers come to the judge and say, oh, you can't do this because he has his First Amendment right. He has... Uh, ultimate immunity. And uh, the judge wasn't really having it. She was looking at this saying, yeah, that's, that's not the case. And you don't really have a case here. But what's happening right now is this judge is taking these arguments from the people filing the lawsuits and Donald Trump's lawyers. And she's going to decide on whether this lawsuit can continue, move forward. And if it does move forward and it admits that Donald Trump and the White House are culpable for inciting this riot or maybe even uh, facilitating this riot. Well, that's kind of a big that's kind of a big decision. And it might have some bearing on some of the criminal activity as well. And keep in mind, whatever comes out in this lawsuit uh, and they have a lot more leeway in a civil lawsuit, whatever comes out in this lawsuit will end up in a criminal suit as well, a criminal uh, prosecution. So this is very problematic for Donald Trump. Unfortunately, what his lawyers did in trying to get him out of being uh, sued in this thing was batshit crazy. The judge knows it. Uh, The prosecution knows it. The defense knows it. It's just hoping against hope they can delay it or somehow cloud it, but they're not going to be able to. This judge is going to come out and say this lawsuit can go forward, and at that point, Donald Trump is fucked. He's going to have to testify. He's going to have to be um, put in a position where he might end up losing a lawsuit. And with these three members uh, talking to him and suing him, this could ultimately bankrupt him. And then all the information that comes out in the civil suit will go to the criminal prosecution. This is a mess for Donald Trump. This is going to come, this decision is going to come fairly quickly, maybe this week, certainly next week. This judge is going to say, you can go ahead with the lawsuit or you can't go ahead with the lawsuit. All we know is that whatever defense uh, Donald Trump's team put up to stop the lawsuit, to dismiss the lawsuit, was not taken very well by the judge. She thought it was all a bunch of bullshit by the way she reacted to it and the questions she asked. There's no decision as yet, but that decision is coming. And when it does come, if the lawsuit can move forward, Donald Trump is in a fucking heap of trouble. Maybe not in that civil lawsuit. I mean, he'll end up broke, but He won't go to jail for that lawsuit, but whatever comes out of that, and he will have to testify, will go to the criminal courts, and that's where the problems will come. And that's where indictments and jail terms will come. So we'll be watching this civil suit very closely in Washington, D.C., to see if Donald Trump can be sued for inciting an insurrection and for facilitating and maybe even planning the insurrection. It's a small case compared to all the criminal cases, but this is an important one. And this may be the thing that starts the avalanche. 
So let's watch for that. I'll keep you posted as much as I know and much as I hear about it. I want to thank you for spending time with me on the Rational Boomer podcast. If you have questions, comments, complaints, send them to me at uh, therationalboomer at gmail.com. All right. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.